Black Equity listeners, welcome to Black Equity. This is episode 185. We're going to dive into a great conversation already in progress with Dave Anderson, the business bully. He's one of the top consultants, one of the top entrepreneurs within black culture. And I really think you're going to be blessed by this conversation. So sit back, enjoy the conversation, and make sure you follow uh, the link in the show notes to learn more. Thank you for listening to Black Equity. Let's get on with the show. All right, Black Equity listeners, I have on the show today, Dave Anderson, the business bully. Welcome to Black Equity. How are you doing? Man, I couldn't be better if I had your hands. <laughs> welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, uh, I know you're a consultant. I know you're an entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about your background for those who don't know you. Wow. Um, well, I am a son of a single mom from the projects. I came from Philadelphia, where I still live and reside. Okay. I um, My career started in radio when I was about nine years old. Awesome. And for 25 years of my life, that was what I did. Radio, TV, film, writing. And for me, I was always drawn to something else. I didn't know what that was. Okay. And the more I got into my purpose and the more that I started moving around, I realized that I was really good at business, like really good, like it was a sport. Right. You know, and I'm like, oh, oh, no, this is why you're not making enough money here. You need to do this and then go see that person and you can do that. You connect with that. And it was just really, really simple to me. And people were like, oh, my God, wow, thank you so much. And I noticed people started making a lot of money. Just off of stuff that was coming off the top of my head. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. You made how much on that tip? And it wasn't like, you know, stock investing or, or, you know, day trading or anything. It was just simple, you know, things, at least things that seemed simple to me. Right. Um, And I just saw people making a crap ton of money, you know, um, individuals and companies alike. And it got to a point where I realized that if I could do this for other people, then I could probably make a living doing it for other people and doing it for myself. And so in 2011, I retired from the entertainment industry and I focused strictly on growing my business, my consultancy, my coaching uh, empire. And, you know, I also focused heavily on tech development, primarily SaaS, software as a service. And, you know, being one of the few black people in those spaces you know, it's uh, it's it's a really good time for me. Yeah, you know, SAS has been something I've had my eye on for quite some time. So I'm glad you. That was the greatest. Yeah. Well, for those who don't know about SAS, uh, tell us a little bit about SAS and wh- why you love it. All right. Well, SAS is software as a service. So, um, ClickFunnels, for those of you who are in the business space, are, mm-hmm. is is a version of SAS. Um, Office 365 is a version of SaaS, you know, a software that doesn't come with a box, that kind of situation. You've got Uzine, you've got all these different types of softwares that that are great. And I think what's really cool about it is it cuts down on so much because you don't have um, a steep learning curve for most of them. They're, They're usually pretty simple to operate. You know, it's easy money. Um, some of them are relatively cost effective. Right. And so you get yourself to a place where you're like, okay, this is cool. I can do this. I don't have to spend a lot of time, 
you know, programming stuff or doing stuff myself. Everybody's looking for a way to get there, you know, stronger, uh, quicker, you know, more efficiently and more cost effectively. And so software as a service solves a lot of those problems. Nice. You don't need a server if you have Office 365. You don't need, uh, you know, a $3,000 or $10,000 uh, computer, if you have something like a USign or some type of cloud-based video editing software like Rapper or things of that nature. And so software as a service is where the industry is going. Because people are, like, in five years, it'll be funny for you to go into a Best Buy and look for a CD mm-hmm. or, you know, to, to go get some software. It's like, why don't you just go to a website and download it? It's weird. Hell, even Photoshop now, like, my kid does uh, photography and videography and whatnot. Her whole suite, Photoshop, Lightroom, all that stuff, it's SaaS now. Yeah. No one wants to have that bulk. It's like, I'll give you an example. In 2003, I left North Carolina. I was in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Okay. And I signed a contract to uh, take over nights in Nashville, Tennessee mm-hmm. at a hip-hop station. And I had all of these VHS tapes. And I was like, damn, this shit is bulky. I don't want to take all this stuff in the U-Haul. So I gave it to my then roommate. And I said, here, man, you can have these. And he's like, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm just going to start a DVD collection. Now I have books and books of DVDs, but now like all of my movies are digital. I'll buy it on, uh, you know, I'll buy it on Amazon or iTunes or through um, Xfinity and I'll play them all on movies anywhere from my phone or from my tablet or from my smart TV. Mm-hmm. Like, it just makes sense. People want things that they don't have to carry around. We're in a place now where we want to be mobile. You know, we're living, uh, we're living in what I like to call the laptop lifestyle era. Yep. It is the era of someone just pulling up in a, I'm not going to say that, let's just say a coffee shop. Okay. They don't get no burn on my, on my airtime. <laughs> um, so let's just say I go to a coffee shop that has Wi-Fi or, right. you know, a building that has Wi-Fi. Um, I know good and hell well that everything I need is on my laptop because as long as I've got a Wi-Fi connection, I'm good money. Yeah, it cuts down on problems. It, there's not a whole lot of service. Like, wh- how many people do you know right now that you can pull up in your Rolodex who are TV a TV repairman? Mm. Yeah, not many. That industry is gone. Yeah, you know, right. my great uncle used to be an elevator operator. Wow, that industry is gone. Yeah, you know, so trying to hang on to an industry based upon tradition and comfort is not going to help you. We have to embrace technology. And as a black man in business, you know, I tell my clients all the time to embrace technology. And when they do, you don't have to understand it. Just embrace it. Yeah. And when they do, they see results. So, so when we're looking at that, uh, we'll get to the type of clients that would be uh, best Mm -hmm. suited to work with you. But would you Mm -hmm. consider Netflix SaaS? Would you consider Uber SaaS? Or is it a hybrid? I think I think Uber's more of a hybrid than Netflix because Netflix is damn near completely digital. Now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, Netflix also, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of like this. My my wife has a saying is how you get them is how you lose how you lose them. Right. Right? And primarily when she says that she's talking about relationships, celebrities, you know, like um that one Kardashian who was cheating, who was messing with that guy who had a pregnant wife and he got her and then he went around and started messing with somebody when she, when that Kardashian wound up pregnant. How you get them is how you lose them. Right. Netflix did not kill Blockbuster or the video rental industry. They made it better. Right. You know, Redbox came and had a good run for people who are just 
still, you know, uh, circling the drain of entrepreneurship um, of, you know, that video rental era. Right. You know, and for people who, you know, people who have it, those people usually are people who also have like candy and chip vending machines. So this is just another thing right. in their portfolio. Right. So when you look at Netflix, Netflix never thought that Hulu would go that far. Mm-hmm. Hulu's Netflix creeping never, up. Hulu's cru- uh, creeping. Hulu's owned by the mouse now. Mm. The mouse wants his money. Yeah. The mouse is at a stage in his life where he's like, you know what? I got these kids. But you know what? Some of these kids grow up and they like Darth Vader. So you know what? I'm going to take over Darth Vader. Now I'm his master. Mm-hmm. Oh, these kids. Oh, these kids like Spider-Man. They, 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 they like, uh, they, they like comic books. Oh, okay. Well, cool. Well, we'll give them the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. And then we'll take all of those properties and do what we want with them. Right. So it's not a matter of, of just beating them, join them. Where Uber, yes, you're using an app to call somebody. But if you're black and you lived in any major metropolitan city, you know good and hell well Uber was invented by black people. We used to call it a taxi hack. Mm-hmm. You know, people just get in there, put get in their cars, you give them a, a few bucks, and they'll take you from you know where they are to where you want to be. You know, so that app just basically remixed the hack. You know, but with with uh, getting back to Netflix though, you got Disney Plus coming, yeah. which has all of those channels. It's gonna be big. Um, it's gonna be huge, and then Netflix. You know, Netflix had no competition for a minute because they basically eliminated the competition. So they started leveraging themselves with all of these programs and all of these shows and betting the farm on them. But they didn't realize that after the Fox acquisition deal, you know, Disney has everything. They've got literally a combined estimated 230 years of content. Mm-hmm. So you can't compete with that. And, you know... What I what I saw, I didn't even realize when the acquisition happened. I said, "Oh, this is big," but I would tell you the thing that that really stood out to me is mm. within that Fox deal is the acquisition of Home Alone, and, mm. and with Home Alone and with them saying, "Well, we're going to do a reboot of Home Alone," and just kind of looking at Disney's track record. Now, this is just a theory. Mm-hmm. I think that if you do Home Alone, and I, I've said this a few episodes ago, so. Some people know what I'm about to say. I think you got to make that black kid, whoever's going to be home alone, or not black kid, that kid that's going to be on home alone, you got to make him black. You got to make him some type of uh, uh, ethnicity other than the same thing you've already done. Right. And so I'm looking at what they're doing, The Little Mermaid. Like, okay, we can get a little bit of this black audience by bringing in right. a Holly uh, Bailey. And so I don't know for sure, but if, if I'm Disney and I'm looking at the landscape of things, I want my home alone to pop if I'm doing another mm-hmm. reboot. And I have so much money tied to this brand. I put so much money in it. I've seen how Black Panther is doing. I'm seeing how mm-hmm. Coming to America 2 is getting a lot of buzz. Why would I not put, put a little black boy, black girl, or, or something similar <laughs> on my platform for the second reboot of Home Alone? Mm-hmm. Every 15 to 30 years, black people get a run. Mm. And I mean, let's do the math. You got yeah. Good Times. Fifteen years later, you got the Cosby Show, right? And you have shows in between. Then, then fifteen years later, you get the advent of UPN and the WB. Mm-hmm. You know, so everything from Homeboys to Outer Space to um, Moesha, girlfriends. girlfriends, all that shit came from that era. 
right? right? So 15 years later, you know, somebody releases a study and says, oh, you know what? Black people are spending an ass ton of money on entertainment. Hmm, how can we capitalize on that? Oh, well, yep. hey, we've got a Negro character right here with superpowers. And because he's not, quote unquote, African-American, and I hate that term, but because right. he's not African-American, you know, white people will love to see it. And it's a character that's been around even before the Black Panthers. So no one can make a correlation with anything, you know, radical. So let's right. go ahead and put him out there and let's put all the black people out there and let's keep our white asses in the back, mm. way in the back. But to let white people know that we still love them, then we'll go ahead and tie other characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe that have really important roles in minor, fi- in, in minor roles in really important films and make them major roles in this film. Yeah. So that's why Claw, who was referenced and was seen in Civil War, that's why you have... Um, um, oh gosh, um, Agent Ross from Civil War as well, you know, having prominent roles in Black Panther, so we just don't black be black it all the way up. Because mm-hmm. you know, you gotta you you know, you gotta have one. It's the same thing Andy Cohen did with the Real Housewives of Atlanta. That's why Kim Zolciak was there. You gotta have one just to make white people feel uncomfortable because right. a monopoly, just a whole nother thing. You know, and then you know, Tyler Perry saying, Oh yeah, they shot some of that at my studio. That's black be black too. Right. You know, and so we buy into that. But yeah, I'll listen. I am black because I'm black. I'm right. not black because it's profitable. Exactly. Profitability is a byproduct of me betting on my people. Right. You know, my people who invented the pyramids and the internet, my people who invented ice cream in the mailbox, my people who invented the super soaker, while those who bought the company that invented the that uh housed the guy that invented the super soaker robbed that guy of his royalties. His name is Lonnie Williams, by the way. Google is a beautiful thing. Right. So you know, I think that with Home Alone or any of those other properties, yeah, you're going to have to because at the end of the day, think about it. Who's in more pain in America than black people? Mm. Who has had a whammy done on them for 400 years more than black people? Our hoodwinking, our hoodwinking, our conditioning, our processing precedes these yet-to-be United States. You know, And so what happens is because we can't wealth our way to a situation because most of us are kept um, from, you know, we've kept from those access points to entry. We have several barriers to entry. Um, What do we do? We do everything we can to numb our pain. Some of us numb our pain with alcohol. Some of us numb our pain with weed. Some of us numb our pain with sex. Some of us, some of us numb our pain with jewelries and cars and, 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 and clothes and homes. And a lot of us numb our pain. The majority of us numb our pain with not saying that we don't do any of those other things, but damn near all of us numb our pains with entertainment. What are some of the projects that I'm paying attention to in the culture? Right now, I'm studying the YBN Corday album. I think that is a great project. I'm also paying attention to the podcast uh, Melanin Boulevard. What a great, great uh, podcast. If you're not paying attention to it, you are definitely missing out. Uh, Some of the guests that are on there are very uh, in-depth conversations. And I want everyone who is a Black Equity listener to head over to Melanin Boulevard and check out this podcast. We have the uh, link in our IG at Black Equity Network. And I want you to head over to that link and listen to that podcast. So those are the two projects that I'm currently paying attention to. Back to the show.
that's where the money is. I believe for the black dollar, the number one area for a black dollar is beauty. And number mm. two is entertainment. And Absolutely. so, yeah, we, but the, the sad part is on the beauty side, we, we don't have as much ownership or as, as much equity as you would think. It is where our dollars are going, but it isn't where necessarily our ownership is going. And right. then you can see the same thing in entertainment. Our dollars are being spread out, but then where do we, where, where are we on the distribution chain? Where are we uh, as far as the filmmakers? And I, mm. I, I'm hoping with uh, the rise of what you're talking about with technology, maybe we can equal the playing field a little bit. Well, we could, but here's the problem. Okay. Right? We got two problems. Number one, Black people want name brand shit. Fact. Number two, white people want what's real. So white people will follow whatever black people say is cool. Right. And because black people are conditioned to believe that certain things are cool by some people who do not look like black people, that's why Nike's number one. That's why. Hmm. I mean, that's just what it is. Like, let's, let's yeah, keep it no, funky. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. There are plenty of filmmakers right now who could bust Tyler Perry's ass, wipe their ass with Spike Lee, and make a killing, but they don't have the popularity or the resources. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so as a result, you're in this catch-22. Because when you, quote-unquote, get on, then you're a part of the machine that you're trying to break. Lena Wave. I saw Lena Wave. You know, she mm-hmm. was saying, hey, I got in. But I didn't really have any power. I had to sell my idea of the shy uh, to Showtime. I didn't even have any necessarily creative control of who can be on the show. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think Lena Waithe is one of the great. I, I have the utmost respect. You know, and a weird crush on Lena Waithe. I think Lena Waithe is just the greatest. But it's I the truth. Movie coming out. Yeah, like, like it's so hard to have power. Yeah, because see. We're the talent. We're very rarely the management. Right. And another problem with us in business is that everybody wants to be the leader. Mm. Everybody wants to have their name up. Yeah. There are things okay. that I have done where my name is nowhere nowhere on the masthead. Facts. I don't care. And so, strategically, for a business mm-hmm. owner or investor listening, why is that key? Why, why did you choose to do that strategically? You know, the Bible says, never let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Mm-hmm. It also says, in all that getting, get an understanding. Right. Um, one of my favorite movies is American Gangster, where Denzel plays Frank Lucas. And I actually had a chance to talk to Frank Lucas before mm-hmm. he died. And he said one of the things that he loved about that movie was the scene you know, which really happened was when he was saying, like, when you're the loudest one in the room, you know, you're the one that's easily, the, the, the most easily targeted. You know, um, I am boisterous, I am loud, I am out there, but you'll never know everything I right. do. And you shouldn't. Right. You know, you know how people will put free game alert, you know how people will put um, poor people will put their electric in their kids' names. Right. I got businesses in my kids' names. As you should. Very smart. And and, and that's that's, that, the, that's the thing, right? On top of that, I'll do things that most people won't think of. Do you know what my favorite activity is outside of like reading comic books, watching pro wrestling, and doing business? No, I don't. 
I'll spend about DJ. I'll spend about three days, three hours a day on GoDaddy. Ask me why. Uh, you're looking for domains to purchase. You damn skippy. <laughs> the digital world. You know, somebody told me the other day. Bro. And mm. I'll let you finish your thought. They told me, uh, yeah, you know, you know, I invest in the digital assets. They're like, yeah, you're, you're, mm-hmm. uh, you're cool in the digital world, but you know, do you really matter in real life? And I'm thinking to myself. <laughs> I don't. I didn't realize digital wasn't real life. I mean, everybody. I mean, it's it's a part of everyday life. I didn't know I had to be something outside of being digital. Mm. Hmm. Well, I will say this to you: never stoop to their level. Mm-hmm. They will drag you down to where they are and beat you with experience. Sure. So, because they can't do what you do in the digital asset game, they want to say, "Well, that's not real." <laughs> And I'm like, you know what though? But these checks, right? Are, these checks are very, very real. They're tangible, very. Every day, but I do that because I I watched um an interview Paul McCartney gave, and he was talking about Michael Jackson. How Michael Jackson, um, he was telling him about he was telling Michael about publishing, right. and he said the next time I talked to Michael was about a week later, <clears throat> and Michael said, you know, I took your advice. He's like, oh yeah. He's like, yeah. So I bought it. Bought what? Your catalog. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the worst thing you can do is give a smart black man the tools. Mm. And I'm that guy. So you you go ahead and you come up with a catchphrase if you want to. Yeah. You go ahead and you come up with an idea if you want to. And if you don't have that situation handled, oh, best believe I done bought that domain. I bought it to Celebration Bitches in 2004 before the phrase was finished out of Dave Chappelle's mm-hmm. mouth. I bought half several seats before before Tamar Braxton could finish that episode of Braxton Family Values. I will sit there and I will buy domains and I will sit on them for the sake of sitting on them. Yeah. And if you want them, well, you know, you can you can then buy them. See, everybody's so focused on real estate. I don't have time. I don't like I don't like having to deal with contractors and you know rehabbing and short sale and share sales. No, not when Voice.com just got sold for thirty million. Talk that talk. Because the the real, the real real estate, not even the real real estate, but the next evolution of real estate is exactly what you're saying. It's the digital space, and it's a wide mm-hmm. open opportunity. And if you're not paying attention, mm-hmm. you're going to miss this. Yep. But people don't see that though because they don't understand it. And people do what with things they don't understand? They fear them. Mm-hmm. That's true. So I pretty much say yes to everything. Nice. Because even if I lose, I'll write it off. Right. Because that's what accountants are for. And if I win, well, I continue to be the genius people say that I am. To to that, where where does the idea of the business bully come from? What bullying well, you know. bullying business owners into uh, being the best that they can be? Where does that come from? Where did that that idea come hmm. from? Here's the thing: I have always, and I know you don't know me personally, but I'm sure you've seen enough of me to know how I am. Excuse me. It's not an act. Mm-hmm. I'm very straight up and down. I don't care if you like me. I married the most beautiful woman I could find. I, I could find the most brilliant woman I can find. I have brilliant, beautiful children. I have a brilliant, beautiful mother. I have a brilliant, beautiful brother, and I have a brilliant, beautiful home. Right. I am very content, and nothing you say about me is going to change any of that. And so, in order to rectify my self-esteem issues from childhood. I made sure that I had the best of everything. Right. 
that way I can insulate myself. Does that make sense? So now I wish, and this is what I, you know, when, when my wife and I had children, I, I told her that I wanted to raise my children for the world that actually exists, not the world that I wish existed. Right. Because I'm not doing them any favors by trying to train them for a fantasy world that they may never see. Right. So, having said that, we live in a world where people get a thousand and one participation trophies and they're never taught how to lose. And by the time they actually lose, which is ha- what happens to everyone, no one goes through life undefeated, not even Floyd Mayweather. Remember, he went to jail. Right. So if you know that no one goes through life undefeated, why don't we get these? Why don't we get the tools in early? Because even the Bible says train a child in the way that they should go. And when they become an adult, they will not depart right. from it. I, as a kid, I was 10, 11 years old. I played third string right field for the Belfield Recreation Center. I love baseball. You know, um, I know that's weird for some people, but people forget that baseball was, oh, 100 years ago, very black. Right. We really need to have our own league again, but hey. That's a whole other other conversation. (laughs) Black people won't even support Ice Cube. Man, the big three. We'll have to talk about that. I thought it was. Yeah, we we own that. Put a pin in there. Yeah, we'll put a pin in there. Bro, it's phenomenal. Put put a pin in it. So I love baseball. And I played third string right fielding. Do you know why I was thrilled? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you why I was thrilled. I was thrilled because playing third string right field meant that I was better than the eight people who didn't make the team. Mm. Even though I was a third stringer. I know I was never going to make it to the MLB. That's not my thing. Right. But I enjoyed the sport. And I know that I earned my spot being a third string right fielder. Because that's just what it is. Ain't too many pop flies coming in right field, even if you first right. string. But I made the team. I know I earned my spot on that team. Right. Now you got you got basketball leagues for kids and they don't even keep score. Mm. You don't want to work on fundamentals. It's just, oh, try to get the ball in the hoop. Run with the ball like it's a fucking football. You're teaching little Billy that it doesn't matter because no matter what, you know, you're gonna win. You're gonna get a trophy as big as a championship just for showing up. Right. So now when these kids go off to college and they show up and the paper that the professor hands back to them is looks like it's it's on its second day of its heavy flow period because <laughs> it's covered in red marks, right. they don't understand. They can't hack it. Or when they graduate, because maybe they just zip through college. God forbid, because I got a whole other thing about college. Let's say they zip through college for lack of a, a better term. Right. And they get to their job and their boss tells them, oh, this report completely sucks or Look, you're screwing the pooch on this. Like, you got to step it up. How are they going to handle that? Right. When they're not allowed to be criticized. And so when someone comes to me and they tell me that, you know, their marketing plan is word of mouth. Yeah, they love that. Because, you know, that means that, see, and this is what they don't think. They think word of mouth is cool. And don't get me wrong. Word of mouth is cool. Like, word of mouth got, 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 uh, got me here, meaning on your platform. But however... Mm -hmm. It was the work that created the word of mouth in the first place, which is the part we seem to miss out on. But when people tell me that word of mouth is their only marketing plan, I tell them those people are lazy because they're allowing other people who do not have them as their top priority as their go-to, as their their strategy. And ain't nobody thinking about you, boo-boo. So when I say something like that and I'm like, you know what, your marketing sucks, your website looks like something my four-year-old put together, people take that personally because they're married to the wrong thing. Mm. 
I am only married to Janae Nicole Anderson. I ain't married to nobody right. else. I ain't married to my company. I ain't married to an idea. I ain't married to a business. I will drop everything like De Niro said in the heat in less than 15 <laughs> seconds. Good movie, by the way, if you haven't watched it. Great movie. Great movie. Um, and that's the thing. And so one day I'm on Facebook and I told somebody who asked mm-hmm. me what um, I thought of what they had. And I broke it down and I gave them very actionable information. But I also gave them a very, very rigid critique. Because when you wear my skin, see, we don't have the luxury that white people have. White people are never measured by the poor white trash. Mm. White people are never measured by their opioid addicted brethren. They're not measured by the ones who are in the trailer park. They are automatically ex- extricated and, and, and isolated. We are measured by the least of these. And when you show up in business and you show up janky, guess what? You're bringing my stock down, bucko. Right. And so someone decided to comment on the comment that I made and said, oh, Dave Anderson, you're a business bully. I said, thank you very much. I've been looking for a moniker. Because, mm. you know, your your enemies will always give you um, the, the tools mm-hmm. that you need uh, to go to the next level. Whenever they start pointing at you, Pretty much. they'll say, oh, you're this and you're that. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Guilty. Right. What else you right. got? Mm-hmm. I agree with I'll be that. In a world where accountability comes across as bullying, I will be the business bully to the day I well, die. Well, accountability, accountability, accountability is love. I mean, it's a, way, it's a way of saying, I think you can be better at what you're doing, or if you did this consistently, you can get to where you need to be. But most people don't want that. You know, like you said, they oh. want the easiest route out. Mm-hmm. People want to be lulled to sleep. Mm. They want to be told that they are wearing the finest clothes when truth is they're butt naked and shivering. It's true. And I'm sorry. I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass. So that's where the whole thing came from. So I run with it. I like it. I like it. And and, and from that, you've built, uh, I, I remember seeing on the Breakfast Club, you've built a conference. Uh, is, is it annual mm-hmm. or how often is the conference in, in Philly? It's annual. Okay. It's um. It's usually every July or August. Okay. So you just had it, and it's in Philly, and it's called yeah. It's called BullyCon, and it's phenomenal because we, um, we bring in really great experts who are making money, and a lot of people who speak on that stage are are my clients, and my clients grossed twenty seven million last year. We're on pace to do fifty four million this year, and um, ninety six percent of my clients look like me. Nice. So. With your with uh, your your clientele, how does someone work with you, or mm-hmm. what are you looking for when somebody is coming on board to to be part of your uh, your your clientele? You know, <clears throat> I'm the Shaka Khan of business consultants. Okay. By that I mean this: Shaka Khan can sing her songs in any key. I have I have. Uh, credit repair businesses. I have authors. I have coaches. I have speakers. I have people who are, are online real t- retailers. Mm-hmm. My system is based not on what I like to do, but my system is based on um, attraction, recruitment, attention, and results. Gotcha. You know, and so you have to be willing first to unlearn all the bullshit you think you know about marketing. You have to unlearn all the bullshit you think you understand about technology. You have to learn all of the conditioning that you've been given by B-School. And don't get me wrong. 
I'm taking B school classes. Um, I've got plenty of degrees. My issue with school when it comes to entrepreneurship is that the people who are teaching the lessons in schools are not entrepreneurs today. No. You can't tell me shit about what, you know, you can't tell me shit about today when your business was successful during the Reagan administration. Unless you're Warren fucking Buffett. And last I checked, Warren Buffett ain't teaching no fucking school. That's that's the first thing I noticed when I uh, went to business school and then ended up getting my master's. And I'm listening to these people, but then when you look behind the curtain, it's like, well, you don't manage anything of your own. And basically what you're teaching me to do is to work for other businesses and, and to have some mm-hmm. type of a knowledge base to assist uh, a business in going into the next level. But then by the time you've taught me, you haven't taught me all the, the newest technologies. You've taught me everything from 10 years ago. And so that was the first thing I noticed. So yeah, yeah, I got this degree and that's wonderful. But then I did more work after getting my degree <laughs> than during because I had to go learn what was really happening, not what was, you know, 15 years ago. This is a wonderful conversation. I know you're learning a lot of great wisdom from this conversation, but we're not done. Come back tomorrow for episode 186, where we continue our conversation with Dave Anderson and we dive deeper into culture and how business is impacting it on a daily basis. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being a a longtime listener. And I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow here on Black Equity.